You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children and still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders and under our beds and in our closets. And together we'll realize, well, that's pretty that's dark. Pretty dark. <laughs> What's up, y'all? Hey, guys. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. To That's Pretty Dark. <laughs> We've adjusted ourselves, got a drink. Mm-hmm. We're uh, recording again. Yeah. For part two. Part two of the, of Goonies. the Goonies. My name is Kaylin, if you've forgotten. Mm-hmm. My name's Christian. And um, we're awkward because we, um, we're recording <laughs> all of the Goonies in one sitting. One go. We're just breaking it up. One fell swoop. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're- uh, But you get to take this journey over several weeks, so. Perfect. Yes, thank That's you. That's great for you. You get to take a break from us, but we don't get to take a break from each other. Except for next month when I won't see you for a month. That's true. So that's pretty sad. It's kind of sad, actually. Yeah, it is sad. But <laughs> to uh, combat the sadness, <laughs> we're going to get into- the actual, the thick of it, the actual meat of the movie. Yeah. Of the Do you want to recap? Yeah. Last time. Yeah, yeah. Last time I gave you more of the the background of the film, who made it, how it got made, where it came from, and where it was filmed. Um, so now we're going to get into the actual plot of the movie and uh, some things you may not know about the making of the Goonies. Let's do so, it. So, you know, grab your flashlights, everybody. I'm ready. It gets dark in these caves under Astoria. Mm. Except it doesn't because it's so well lit. It is well lit. So before I get into the actual details and the plot of this movie, I would like to say just broad strokes here. The brilliance of this movie, as with so many of these classic family adventure narratives from the 80s and 90s, is this masterful balance between adventure and peril with both humor and high stakes woven in throughout. Yes. As I said before, this is, I don't know where it originated, but I want to say this created the formula for a lot of the modern day adventure film structures. Mm -hmm. As we say, a lot of the 80s and 90s, especially with like D.J. McHale and children's entertainment, especially children's horror, a lot of what happened then became what is now a formula. Right. It was really done well then because it was raw and new and interesting and exciting, and it was imperfect, which is what made it so good. But now everything is taken from that era, that generation. Everybody making stuff now Looks is from the 80s and 90s time period. Yes. We're all in our 30s and 40s. Right. And those of us who are almost 30. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> you yeah. within a year. Right there. Your tick, tick, boom. I am tick, uh, tick, boom. State of uh, age. I don't know, time. Yes, I am. Which is where I, I have been until Dude, I'm recently. living in that space. I'm learning to embrace my 30s. It's really hard. But I'm here now. I've been excited for them until I got here. And then I was like, oh, shit, but I'm here now. (laughs) Never been excited for my 30s, but what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Why do you think all those people died at 27? Oh, Lord. We've already missed that boat, so we might as well keep going. Oh, God. What was I saying? Yeah. For an example, just take a look at like all the Marvel movies. Yep. The Star Wars reboots. They're Mm -hmm. all the same combination between stakes, high stakes, peril, Yep. And then, you know, like fun adventure humor. Yes. Um, and you, you throw in a love story and you got yourself all the ingredients for a beautiful, delicious soup. That's right. Good soup. You've got a movie. 
That's why they just keep throwing this stuff, plugging these things into an equation over and over and over again. Yeah, because it worked. It worked then and it works now. These things are making millions of dollars. These movies make so much money. People love them. They cannot get enough of them. And a lot of this began with movies like The Goonies. Mm -hmm. Pretty avant-garde for its time. Yes, it was. And again, I don't know how far that, how far those roots go beyond and earlier than the 80s because we haven't really explored Mm -hmm. the 60s and 70s necessarily. Sure, but they're there. I know adventure things occurred. Oh, yeah. I know it existed, but I don't know to what extent these concepts and themes and pieces all fit together until the 80s and like this Mm -hmm. boom of cinema and like media. Specifically also bringing it to to kids or young adults. Specifically to younger audiences, right. Yeah. Before anything happens, the first thing you ever see is this Jolly Roger the Skull and Crossbones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It really brought me back to John Carpenter's Halloween with the yes. jack-o'-lantern, how it has yeah. that slow push into that left yep. eye of the jack-o'-lantern. Mm-hmm. Only this happens very quickly. You move forward. You actually push through the left eye of this Skull and Crossbones. And you begin hearing this noise over black. You don't know what it is. Yeah. And this whole first scene, this whole opening sequence of the movie establishes everything. It was I'm going to use this word probably too many times. I'm going to hate myself for it. But <laughs> masterful. This entire like first 30 minutes of this movie is just yeah. pure gold. Yeah, it is. Everything is set within this frame of this jailbreak scene. We have these three criminals, mm-hmm. and two of them are breaking one of them out of jail. And then there's this major city-wide car chase scene yeah. from them trying to run from the police uh, and they go, they get mixed up in this like beach race. I don't even know what to call it. It's a bunch of trucks and they lose the cops and all this. St- it's it's chaos. It's pure chaos. But they use this structure. I mean, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I didn't remember this either. But I mean, it opens, even though it's not true, it's a gag. It's a false, you know, fake out of this suicide to get the, the jailbreak started. Mm-hmm. And that's what you open on is this person hanging as yes, if they've yes, committed suicide. And it's like, oh, that's where we are. Like <laughs> it is right up front. <laughs> yes. Yes. Really the, dark. The first thing you see. Yeah. They're all going to lunch. Right. Yeah. And then he's like, Hey, I calls him a Turkey. He's Hey, Turkey. <laughs> they got that idea from someone did fake their own death yeah. in prison Tried to get away. To escape, or escaped yeah. Or I mean, something. I'm sure it's not uncommon. It's probably happened a lot. He's hanging. And what I found super interesting about it is that he's already dressed in not prison clothes. Yeah. Some like slacks. He's got like a nice shirt with a vest. Where did he get all these clothes from? <laughs> no idea. Where did all this come from? I was pretty shocked when I saw it again. I was like, oh my God, I forgot. Like, <laughs> Yeah, off the bat. Very strong content, we'll say. Yeah. It's quite, quite strong. And as a kid, you're like, what am I watching? <laughs> yeah. They don't pull their punches at all. A lot to do with these criminals is very... I mean, it's like a crime drama from the 70s. Like, it's it's yeah, all kind much. of a trope, which I think is, you know, on purpose. It's all very it's mature. those people that are making the film mature. When it came to the kids, some of the elements were kind of silly, but they didn't treat these criminals less than very dangerous adults. Yeah. They're very violent people. They are. It was all handled really well, and they are... St- the sons are dumb, bumbling, you know, guys. They do yeah. mess things up a whole lot. But they didn't make them 
criminals in a children's movie. Yeah. They made them scary. Real life scary bad guys. The stakes are high because they are very genuine. They're killers. I mean, they're killers. Yeah, they're killers. Exactly. It's not just a robbery or any kind of petty crime. It's these people are killers. They're mobster style, like violent, dangerous criminals. (laughs) Yeah. The Fratellis, as they're known. The one who faked his hanging was Jake Fratelli. He's played by Robert Davey. Um, He has this extensive list of acting credits. Nothing that really mattered to me too much. He was in Die Hard, though. Mm. He was in 007 License to Kill. Mm. He's this, So he is doing these, like, crime... Crime gangster. He he played a lot of Italian mobster kind of guys. He played a lot of... (laughs) And then he did it in a kid's movie. That's too funny. Right. He also played a lot of police officers, though. Like... Mm. He had that Jersey kind of just type of guy. Yeah. Kind of tough guy vibe. Yeah. And the other brother, who's less of a tough guy, um, and Mama's preferred son, (laughs) is Francis. He was played by Joe Pantoliano, who was also known as Joey Pants. (laughs) Which I think is really funny. He had a really, really incredible career. Um, The ones that mattered to me, he played Teddy in Memento, which is one of my favorite Christopher Nolan movies. Mm-hmm. And he played Cypher in The Matrix. Wow. He was also in Midnight Run and Bad Boys, which are two scripts from a uh, filmmaker I've worked with a few times now on some smaller movies that he's directed. Pretty cool. And he also, Joe Pant, Joey Pants, mm-hmm. was in two episodes of Tales from the Crypt. He was also in Percy Jackson, directed by Chris Columbus. I was about to say, Mark Chris Columbus. Yeah. So again, same thing here. A lot of these actors were in a lot of the same things because of their networking, their working relationships. So it's pretty cool. And the leader of this family, the leader of the Fratellis, was Mama Fratelli. And she was played by Anne Ramsey. God rest her soul. Yes. She has passed away. I looked her up. Mm -hmm. Very cool woman. A really great career. Um, She was known for her gruff comedy style. She was in... Some ABC after school specials. <laughs> she was in Scrooged and she actually died of throat cancer. So sad. Which was terrible, but she kept acting after she'd already had like treatments and procedures and surgeries done to to beat this. Wow. Because she loved it so much. So she's one of those very like hard, gruff type people who really was very sweet and was very kind and they loved her very much. Mm, sad. Um, so I'm I love sad. to hear those stories. <laughs> She just got typecast as this mean woman yeah. because she was so good at it, you know? Yeah. She won the 1986 Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role of Mama in The Goonies. Amazing. Oh, and she did such a good job. Oh my I mean, goodness. I was afraid of her. I'm, I'm still scared of Mama for <laughs> One really fun thing that I learned, I would have learned it in my research, but I learned it just prior to my research by listening to the Barker Carpus uh, series from last podcast on the left. Mm-hmm. Mama Fratelli was inspired by Ma Barker. Wow. Which is a real woman. That makes sense, though. So she was the so-called leader of this gang called the Barker Gang. They were a family. They were all related. Mm -hmm. She was the mother. And it's really interesting because she was only involved because she was their mother. And so the FBI... The early, early FBI formulated the myth that she was the leader of this gang to justify killing her in a shootout. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's terrible. So this concept of a gruff mother figure running a gang of outlaws has been done a few times throughout 
you know, cinema history. Mm -hmm. Goonies is one example. But another main one, you may know this one, you may not. The Beagle Boys characters from DuckTales. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, this animated series from the 80s. Yep. Ma Beagle yep. was the matriarch of the oh clan my gosh. of Crooked Dogs. I've, like, I'd forgotten all about this. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it's funny because Beagle, like the Beagle Boys, Ma Beagle, Ma Barker. Bark, bark, bark. Bark, bark. Exactly. That's clever. You got to give it to them. That's <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> hey, that's clever. that's clever. You guys did a good job. That's that's so clever. But I feel like that happens a lot. Like there are references to these real world no, yeah. situations that we as children would have had no idea about more totally. than likely. Totally. Yeah. Which I think is so funny. I mean, all dogs go to heaven is like there's a ton of that in there too. Absolutely. These dangerous crime, criminals. Like Carface. I mean, Scarface. Oh, I mean, like <laughs> look at Looney Tunes. Look, if you Henry talks so much about he's like, all these original American gangsters, all these guys, they're just Looney Tunes. <laughs> They live on in Looney Tunes. And Toons. if you look at Looney Tunes, they are inspired so much from these old school gangster Dude. types. And I mean, see, you said you didn't know where it all came from and where the tropes came from. I mean, this is this is part of it right here. Oh, yeah. Just mobster-like stories, gangster stories. They live on so much in children's entertainment, oddly enough. I don't know yeah. why. But well, they were all like celebrities at the time. Right. So they were just... Either it was because these people respected them and thought of them as heroes, or they wanted to make fun of them and diminish their reputations right. and make them stupid, silly cartoons. I have no idea right. which one, but maybe a mixture of yeah. both, somewhere in the middle. Probably probably some of each. Another fun thing, the lore behind the Goonies, Robert Davey, who played Jake, and then Joey Pants, who played Francis, <laughs> their relationship in the movie is very combative. They're very much... Uh, at odds, they're always fighting for who's the better Fratelli brother, the better son. Mm -hmm. and Jake says to Mama, he's like, you always preferred him. You always take his side. And she's like, yeah, you better believe it, I do. <laughs> so it's funny because that was inspired by the real life hatred of Davy and Pants. Wow. They did not get along. They did not like each other. Oh, no. They actually pulled a lot of pranks on each other because they hated each other. They were These were not endearing pranks. Oh, no. <laughs> Apparently, it was a very professional, respectable relationship, but they pulled pranks to release the tension. Wow. And they'll tell you in like interviews now, that, they don't get along man. or they didn't get along. I mean, could be good for the characters, I guess, yeah. but like, wow. So this, this sibling rivalry came from this real life thing. Like Spielberg and Donner both witnessed it and they were like, we have to put this in the movie. This is one of those things that they did on the fly. I honestly, I love that. I love it too. Like, to manage that on set would be so challenging. I so know. instead, they're like, let's use it. It's so funny to me. Love that. So some real life examples of pranks they pulled was one time Davey <laughs> nailed Pants's dressing room door shut <laughs> one time so he couldn't get out. That's how you missed your call time. Yeah, right? <laughs> and another time, because they had parking spaces right next to Spielberg, Pants painted over Davy's parking sign. Oh my gosh. They all, so the Fratellis all went for a drive one day because they were like, they won't need us. We got, we got a day off. Let's just go for a drive, you know, see Oregon, whatever. So they were just off like an hour or two from set. Whoops. Just doing their thing, exploring, you know, team building exercise, I guess. And uh, with Ann Ramsey in the car with them. Oh. Um, and they got a call mm -hmm. to come to set. So they're, they're driving back and Davy's driving and he's, he's just flooring it. So they get pulled over. Uh-oh. And when the cop stops him and he's questioning him, he's trying to explain, like, 
you know, look, we're in this movie. We were out for a drive. We got a call. We have to go back. And he's like Spielberg and Richard Donner. Likely story. Right. Well, Joey Pants, who's in the passenger seat, says, don't listen to anything he says, officer. He's lying. Oh, no. So so basically, he ensures that he gets a ticket, a speeding ticket. Yeah. So that's just an example of how much they would literally sabotage each other. Wow. To make sure they couldn't just function normally. Oh my gosh. So, as you were saying before, he fakes his hanging, he gets away, and he's picked up by Francis and Mama Fratelli. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole thing where he's running, the door is locked, he can't get in the car, so he has to jump in through the sunroof. Yes. Apparently that was Davy's idea. Nice. um, To just kind of shake things up, make it interesting. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. It is really funny. And uh, Francis pours gasoline all through the parking lot to, you know, keep the cops from chasing them. And he shoots it with his gun. Yes. And ignites yes. the gasoline. There's a big fire. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was supposed to light a dollar bill on fire and throw the dollar bill to the gasoline, which would mm-hmm. then ignite all the flames. But they couldn't get it to work. Oh, no. So Davy also suggested, why don't I just shoot it? But they're like, no, 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 let's give it to Francis. So Francis ends up shooting the gasoline, which makes it ignite. Does and that get work, away. by the way? Did you I'm look glad you asked, because I researched <laughs> I'd love to know. I've wanted to know this since I was probably eight years old. (laughs) So I finally looked into it. Can you ignite gasoline by shooting it with a bullet? No. I didn't think so. It's not possible. I didn't think so. You also cannot make any gas tank or anything of that nature explode by shooting it with a bullet. You see that all the time. All the time. They just fire one bullet and something explodes. Doesn't happen. Bullets don't have the heat capable. Yeah, because by the time the bullet gets to where it's going, the heat's gone. Exactly. For the most part. The only, I'm not even going to use the right terms here, the only fire element to a bullet being fired is from the gun. Right. So unless you're holding the gun in contact with something flammable, it's not going to catch fire. Yeah. So debunked. Debunked. You've heard it here first. (laughs) We've busted that myth. That's pretty dark. Exclusive. Man, the more you know. The more you know. I was genuinely curious, so thank you for enlightening us. I was very excited to research that. (laughs) So, yeah, Davey in different interviews, he had other good ideas at one point. um, Data, who we'll get to, Mm -hmm. he knocks Jake out with a, like, boxing glove on a spring mechanism. Yes. That was Davey's idea. (laughs) Apparently, it delayed shooting for a few hours because they had to build it. And let's do it this way. It was also his idea to speak Italian in the restaurant at the Lighthouse Lounge uh-huh. a couple times because it, you know, lended to the authenticity of them being Italian. I was about to say, added to the authenticity, yeah. And he actually had to teach and some Italian so she could respond to him in Italian. Wow. Which is pretty cool. That's cool, though. He was very smug about that. He was very proud of it, which I guess I would be too. Italian folk, proud folk. So the car that they get away in is an ORV four wheel drive. Just riddled with bullet holes. And you hear this ORV four-wheel drive so many times. And I wonder how much of that is just product placement. A lot. Thanks, Steven Spielberg. Yep. I noticed it a few times. With your Reese's Pieces. (laughs) E.T. E.T. phone home. So we use this big chase scene, like I said, to meet all of our main characters, a.k.a. the Goonies and the girls. Who are not Goonies, but I will make that distinction later. They, they're they honorary Goonies. Come on. No, there's a whole deleted scene where they become Goonies. Oh my gosh. I'll get to it. Initiations. Initiation. So the 
first, I'm just going to go through all the characters now because we do meet them in sequence. I mean, mm -hmm. it's as the cars and the police chase is happening through town. As we pass the school, we meet Andy. As we pass this, right, the, right. the docks, we meet Steph. Which I honestly really liked the way they did it. I loved it so It's, it's iconic. Much. And I feel like it's been in so many things since then, even on smaller scale. Oh, yeah. But I loved it. Using the momentum and the location to introduce a new character, yeah. it just does so much for the movie. Because it also shows you the, the unique personality. Right. You meet them where they are. Yeah. Andy is a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. Steph is bobbing for crabs. Yeah. <laughs> so you know she's going to be aloof and just off the cuff, whatever. Yeah. You never know what to expect from Steph. No. That's such a weird bobbing for crabs. What the? <laughs> in, out of a barrel. It's Come on. I mean, it's like a, a coastal town, so... I mean, I, I get it, but with your mouth, I mean, mm -hmm. whatever. Ugh. Yeah, that was weird. So, you see Chunk at the arcade, you see Mouth with his dad fixing the sink, he's watching an yeah. old uh, black and white, I think it's um, Some Like It Hot, yeah. is the movie he's watching on the TV with the car chase, he turns it off, you know, and then uh -huh. he still hears the cops and the sirens, and he's love like, it. what? I love and it. you got Data, who's testing out some new gear, some new whatever. Gadgets. And he ends up getting pulled into a trash can. And so all these people, to break down who they are, Andy, our kind of girly girl, hot girl, cheerleader type, she's played by Carrie Green. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, she got the role by spending a summer, instead of going to like summer camp, mm -hmm. she spent a summer auditioning for roles in New York. And somehow, through her whole summer there, got noticed by Spielberg, wow. who just instantly cast her as Andy. Wow. He was like, you're my Andy. Thank you. Uh, he, I mean, yeah. When he finds what he wants, he knows that he found it. I mean, and you know that too. When you see yep. somebody who embodies the character that you're looking yeah. for, done. It's just Nothing like- Nothing like it, man. Nothing like it. That's like love at first sight. The it light shines is. out through the clouds. Yeah. It's magic. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Casting is one of my favorite parts of the yeah. film process, as we've talked about. Just film production in general. Mm -hmm. I love casting. Hearing how people got cast in their roles- because it is so much that, like, love at first sight idea. It is the right elements collided yep. in this moment. And you were here and you are this character. That's pretty cool. So good. I don't think she's an actress anymore, an actor anymore. She, um, She's married. She's got kids. I think she's doing the whole, like, mm -hmm. just normal non-acting life. Living which life. is Which is great. Yeah. A, f a couple of these uh, actors actually are no longer actors, which is really cool yeah. um, to know what, you know, you want out of life and just do that and not yeah. give into this not feel pressured stupid or, American dream yeah. thing we have of you have to be famous, you have to be a celebrity right? Um, to have a fulfilled life. It's just not true. No. Which is something I'm learning <laughs> every day. <laughs> she had other small roles though, shows such as The Magical World of Disney, mm. ABC After School Specials. Mm. She was in Murder, She Wrote. ER and Law and Order SVU. I almost said SUV. <laughs> SVU. Definitely, you'd have some mail about that. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Steph, who is Andy's best friend, is sort of just along for the ride. But I liked her a I lot. I like her more than Andy. Yeah. She's intelligent. She's cool. I would have hung out with Steph. Steph is cool. Yeah, I've yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah, she's a cool chick. She's played by Martha Plimpton, and she's done a lot of stuff. She's still acting. She was in the Mosquito Coast. Okay. She voiced Yelena in Frozen 2. Oh. And she's had roles in a lot of the same shows that a lot of these uh, actors have played in, including Family Ties, ABC After School Specials. Mm -hmm. She was also in Fringe and Grey's Anatomy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so really, really successful career. She's also done some theater. Like her, her parents were really talented actors as well. The so name she was sort sounds, of born yeah, into it. The last name. So of the Goonies that we meet here, 
Mouth. Love him. Mouth is played by Corey Feldman. Yep. He was the 80s. He embodied that 80s childhood rebellion, that youthful, like, fighting against everything mainstream. Oh, yeah. Uh, He was Vans off the wall, Hmm. if you will. He was very cool. Yeah. He was in The Burbs, one of my favorite movies from the time. He was in Stand By Me. One of my favorites from the time. Mm-hmm. He was in Gremlins. One of my favorites from the time. Yeah, clearly he, you know, he impressed was just, these producers and director. He voiced young Copper in The Fox and the Hound. Oh my God. Which I found <laughs> interesting because oh. we just discussed Fox and the Hound with our Hungry, uh, Hungry Hounds. Hounds episode. We sure did. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. The old young hound dog. He's also supposed to be in the forthcoming Goonies 2. As he should be. He's been one of the most outspoken like advocates for a sequel. He's been the one that's like, we're going to do this. It's going to happen. Yes. Him and Sean Astin both mm-hmm. have both been like, this is going to happen. I love that. For sure. And uh, Dick Donner was as well before he passed. He was very adamant it's going to happen. That it should happen. It should, wow. Yeah, he, was, he believed in a, in a sequel. That's good to hear. Um, but only in the way that it embodied the original spirit of the yeah. Goonies. I mean, you hear that a lot from all these, like, everything is a reboot now. It's what's popular. But you hear from the cast and crew a lot that they want it to be true to the spirit of what they made originally. And they would only do it in the case that it was. Right. You know, it isn't. And I mean, not to say that there aren't money grabs, but like... I feel like I hear a lot of commentary from people that were involved in things from this era. And they're like, mm-hmm. I won't do it unless it's done right. Yeah. It's the same creator and that sort of thing. Which is cool because they had a bunch of new writers pitch ideas. They had a bunch of new concepts. And every time they liked one, it just sort of fell through the cracks like it wasn't good enough. But with the second one that's on IMDb that you're su- it's supposedly coming yeah. as a part two, it supposedly is written by Chris Columbus. As it should be. <laughs> which I hope it is. I hope so too. As it should be. And the other cool thing is that Warner Brothers, who owns it, they have refused to do a sequel. So if anybody, if if there was going to be a money-grabbing reboot, sequel, whatever, it would have been the studio that owns it. Mm-hmm. So it would have been Warner that said, we don't want any of you involved. We're going to reboot with a right. new everything. New cast and, yeah. And we it want would the be name terrible. and the idea. It would yes. be so bad. So it's, it, in this case, it's the opposite, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But, I mean, they have to convince the Warner. The creators are yeah. behind it. Yeah. Chunk. Chunk. Who is probably my favorite of all of the Goonies. He's great. Was played by a guy named Jeff Cohen, who is the second of our actors here to no longer be an actor. He's a lawyer now. You go chunk. Look at you go, man. Dude, this guy's awesome. And watching a lot of these documentaries and these videos and things, he is still one of the funniest of all of them. (laughs) This guy is so clever and so witty. Like, I want to be his friend. I was impressed with the way that he, like, just threw out. I mean, how, you know, he he never stopped talking. That's something never. that I have in my notes. Never. Like, none of them did, really. They were all talking over each other the whole time. But it's so interesting because I feel like there are a lot of people, myself included, a lot of children especially, that would, like, crumble under that pressure and wouldn't be able to deliver anything. And you can tell that he was just a fountain of whatever mm-hmm. it was like i'm i can be funny i can be clever and those people i love being around those people yeah he knew when to throw a line away you know yeah to sort of say it as it came very intelligent guy he's a lawyer makes sense yeah he's a lawyer uh so yeah he essentially gave up acting after going to college 
Um, but before that, he was in a few things like the uh, ABC After School Specials, The Magical World of Disney, Family Ties, a few other things. Mm-hmm. But those are the crossover wow. um, shows and things of the other actors. Last but not least, before we get to our main goonies, is Data. He was played by Kikui Kwan. He was mostly known for, which I, it blew my mind to connect these dots. He played Short Round in the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Of course movie, he did. Which we watched religiously over and over as much as the Goonies as a kid. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, that's the same kid. Yeah. That's Short Round. That is. Oh my God. Yep. So he was in Encino Man, mm-hmm. um, which we discussed at one point on this podcast. About oh, yeah. <laughs> Something to do. You were trying to say something, and I was like, Encino Man. And you were like, Not that. Something else. <laughs> no. That also yeah. had Sean Astin in it. You, well, and Brendan Fraser. Wait, you, say that again. Your headphones were off? Yeah. I, they, yeah. That also had Sean Astin in it. An Encino Man. Did it? Mm-hmm. He was the main character. Who did he play in Encino Man? Oh, yeah. I guess so. He was the main guy. Him and. Uh, Holy cow. Was it, not Polly Shore. Was it Polly Shore? Uh, I don't remember. It's making me but want to look it Sean up. Sean Astin and uh, Brendan Fraser. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Amazing. It's so funny because in my mind, I just see like a timeline of Sean Astin and I see the Goonies and I see Stranger Things. I see his like life circle. You don't in see those Lord of the two. Rings and you don't I, see Rudy? I don't because Lord of the Rings, I don't want to get the hate. Oh my God. Like, not that I don't, it, I like Lord of the Rings, but I don't love it. It okay, wasn't like whatever. part of my childhood. I don't care about your opinion anymore. <laughs> Data was also in uh, one episode of Tales from the Crypt. And he is in the upcoming film that I am very, very excited to see everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, oh, yeah. I cannot wait to watch this movie. I am so excited about it. Nice. And he is so gracious if you watch uh, interviews with him. Yeah. The way he talks about everything. He was like, um, especially with this uh, Josh Gad uh, video video thing, they were like, you know, going through like, what are you up to now? What are you doing? And- Kikui Kwan was like, you know, uh, Crazy Rich Asians just really opened a door for the Asian community in cinema. And I'm just really grateful that that happened because I'm getting a lot more roles now. Whoa. I was like, holy shit, dude. Yeah. Do it. Do whatever you want. Like, because you're great. But isn't that insane that he was in these like major, major oh, motion pictures? Major movies. And still and struggled to get work. Still swept under the rug as, because he's a That minority. is insane. To yeah. Me. So big ups, big props to you. Good job waiting it out, like waiting for Hollywood to get over itself. Yeah. Like, man, so sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. I am sorry, but he's doing great. Like he went by Jonathan for a long time because he had to be, he had to have an Americanized name. Yeah. Um, Assimilate. Wow. It's, It's really amazing. So he's doing awesome. He's getting back into it. He's doing what he wants to do. And if you watch him talk, he is just data. <laughs> he is just short round. Aww. He is the exact same guy. I love that. Like he talks the same way. Oh, it it warmed and broke my heart at the same time. Cause I'm mm-hmm. like, man, you are a time capsule. Right. Speaking of time capsules, yeah. You're a time capsule. You as a person. What a cool guy. So after this big chase scene happens, everything after everything happens, we come to take a breath, we calm down. And we meet who is considered the main Goonie, the leader of the Goonies, and his older brother at their home, which is sort of the launching off point of this whole adventure. This leader of the Goonies is named Mikey, and he's played by Sean Astin. Mm -hmm. He was in Rudy. He was Samwise Gamgee in the Lord of the Rings series, which is one of the greatest series (laughs) of all time. Kaylin, you suck. 
<laughs> That's okay. I'll take it. He was the lead role in Encino Man. He was most recently Bob Newby in Stranger Things. If you yeah. don't know Sean Astin, you should. What are you doing? Stop living in a cave. I'm doing better than I you. I love how cute he is with his braces. I know, with his little braces. He's goodness. such a cute little kid. He was like 14, but still. And he is still cool. Like one guy who understands his privilege and like brings that enlightenment and that like charm to everything that he does, mm -hmm. he knows that he was just gifted this talent and these iconic roles. Yeah. And I feel like he lives every minute just like- Grateful. Yeah. Just embodying these characters. And he's not, he's not, I don't know, like you watch this Josh Gad thing and the whole opening bit between him and Sean Astin is just Sean Astin pretending to be an asshole- and like, <laughs> but still delivering lines from the Goonies at the same time. I'm like, nice. I can't believe you're cool with this. Mm -hmm. To say it for the 15th time, he's cool. <laughs> he's cool as Samwise Gamgee too. He's cool in Lord of the Rings. I admit that Lord of the Rings <laughs> is cool. I just, it's not like my top 10, but that's okay. Oh, <laughs> I'm only upset because I watch Lord of the Rings like twice a year. So, <laughs> Mikey's older brother is Brand. Short for Brandon. Mm -hmm. He's played by Josh Brolin. Yeah. Um, this was his first major role. He honestly didn't have that great of a career until recently, the past 10, 15 years. Uh, he was in No Country for Old Men, mm -hmm. which really sort of reestablished him as a serious actor. I love that movie. Fantastic movie. Mm -hmm. uh, go watch it if you haven't. I haven't seen True Grit, but he was in True Grit. Oh my gosh. He was in Dune, which I haven't seen yet, the more recent one. I haven't seen Dune yet either, no. And I realized just recently, because I don't follow the Marvel Universe movies. I don't, I don't, I just, I'm, I'm watching them through. I mean, I watch them. I'm watching them through now. You've not seen them as they've come out? No, no. Okay, now I get to be. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only seen a couple of them. I saw like Iron Man yeah. when it came out or whatever. That was my favorite. But recently I've been, I've been catching up. Trying mm -hmm. to watch them all. I've seen the majority of them like in the theater, pre-COVID. It's pretty cool. I mean, I wish I had. I just didn't like them, to be honest. It depended on the, the movie for me. Because there are some that I really, really like, and there are some that I could take or leave. Same. It's not that I've hated any of them. It's just kind of like No, a, I, I can say that I hate Ant-Man. I don't. I didn't. Sure. I could take or leave it. I hate it. It wasn't like the worst thing I've ever seen. Oh, it was but... the worst thing I've ever seen. It's terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Absolutely I terrible. Uh, I it certainly even, was on the bottom of my list. So, so much sorry, that I couldn't even watch Ant-Man and the Wasp. I couldn't even watch the second one. I skipped I can't it. remember. I can't remember if I saw that one. There you go. Honest. It's so it's so yeah, bad. Maybe. You can't remember if you watched the movie yeah. or not. Yeah. It's a movie and you don't know if you've seen it. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But <laughs> Josh Brolin played Thanos. Holy and cow. when I realized that, Holy yeah, cow. I was like, oh my God. Josh Brolin, you're amazing. I just so. did the like glass shattering thing from How I Met Your Mother. Mm -hmm. Holy cow! He was Thanos. He was Thanos. Yeah, and all. But I loved you, what, Brand. Three or four movies that Thanos was in. Yeah. Why? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Pretty cool. So yeah, he went from Goonies to really nothing for about two or three decades to you know No Country for Old Men to destroying half of humanity. Sorry. To just snapping right. his fingers, just a good snap. Snap, snap. So for the other nerds who are listening, um, who are still listening, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you so much that, for listening. Yeah, seriously, now that I've destroyed Lord of the Rings and Christian's destroyed Marvel. Harry Potter can save us all. That's true. <laughs> so God. I'm going to say, just for the hell of it, <laughs> to 
put it into perspective for anybody who loves to geek out on like BuzzFeed articles and other questionnaire type things, I recently had the realization that all four of our main goonies fit into Hogwarts houses. Okay, yeah. And we'll see if you agree. Well, yours is written down. Do you want me to guess? I mean, sure. You can go ahead and guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm curious if we would land on the same thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Give me your give me your guesses. Let me see what you think. Oh, dang. Oh, dang. Okay. I mean, you chose this. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. It's it's easy. It's easy. Mikey would be Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Chunk would be Hufflepuff. Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Data's Ravenclaw. Okay. And obviously Malthus Slytherin. Hell yes! Woo! <laughs> four for four. We got it. Four for four. That is exactly what I had. Nailed it. That was exactly what I had. Nailed it. Okay. So I even was going to break down why. But no, you, know you can what? break down why no, if you no, want to. No. I just was I, curious if I, I would be able to land on either, it. Either. Okay, look. It's, this is a... Uh, if you know, you know. <laughs> Y-K, Y, Y-K. I don't know. Okay, we'll go with that. And if you don't know, you don't give a shit. <laughs> when we come off this chase scene where we introduce all of our characters, we now settle into the home of Mikey and Brand, which is sort of like the Goonies home base. Know, head, headquarters, headquarters, the home yeah. base. HQ. Right. <laughs> So Mikey and Brandon are upstairs. They're talking about having to move. Right. And they can't stay here anymore. And then they're distracted by a knock at the front door. And it's mouth. And now we're meeting characters. We're building exposition. All this stuff. It comes at you pretty quick. (laughs) It's all hitting you very quickly. But that's one of the things I wanted to say. All this exposition is really done very well. Yeah. Because it's layered on top of itself. Yeah. Each time. Each scene reveals character and it moves plot forward. Yes. Where every time we meet a new character, there's a new piece of information presented. Yeah. And so they're using the characters uh, organically and naturally to tell you what's going on. I do love that. Essentially, this country club is spreading, covering this, uh, I don't know. They act like they have no money, but this is a really nice part of town. So (laughs) whatever. They're buying out all the property. They're talking about foreclosures, whatever, whatever. This country club is expanding, and they cannot afford to pay off this country club to keep the golf course off their property. So everybody who lives where they live, the goondocks in Astoria, mm-hmm. they're having to move. Um, so it's this big whole thing. They're going to have new friends, new a new town, new school. I don't know why they don't just move across town to a different neighborhood. But hey, that's beyond me. <laughs> you know, that's those stakes aren't high enough. We need to know yeah. that they're leaving town. Yeah, they can't stay in Astoria. The town isn't big enough for all, you know, 14 of us or whatever. <laughs> So when Mouth first arrives, Brand and Mikey are pretty bummed out. And he's like, hey, guys, this is the last Goonie weekend, you know. Mm -hmm. He's commenting on their sort of somber nature. And he says, what is this, a nuclear Saturday? Mm -hmm. And so I looked up nuclear Saturday because I didn't know what that was. And apparently nobody does. (laughs) No idea what that means. I just found something really interesting. A year later on Saturday, April 26th, is the Chernobyl nuclear accident. Oh my God. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Whoa. Mind blown, right? Yeah. Less than a year later, actually. Holy cow. With, within a year, no, Chernobyl I, happened. I guess I took it as like, you're you're so bummed out. It's nuclear. Like a nuclear bomb's been dropped. You're bummed. Uh, if There's a lot of jokes online about what a nuclear Saturday means. Hmm. I'm not going to repeat them, but <laughs> I don't think they're accurate. <clears throat> So anyway, they're all bummed out, and Mouth's monologue mm. here. He's like, this is what we should be doing, right? We're going to be going out in style. 
cruising the coast, sniffing some leaves, down in the bruise. But <laughs> no! Down in the bruise. So essentially, Bran flunked his driving test. Yeah. Um, which means they can't go on this bender, hooking up with some ladies, drinking all of the alcohol. They're like uh, 13, maybe. <laughs> and this becomes a running joke. That Bran can't drive, which is, yeah. leads to him stealing a little girl's bicycle. Tricycle. Yeah, her tricycle to catch up with Mikey and the other Goonies, which is really funny. Mm. Then uh, we have Chunk, who witnessed the car chase, and he's got to talk all about it. So Chunk shows up. <laughs> which, honestly, I feel like I'm Chunk sometimes, maybe more than <laughs> sometimes. I'm so often like, hey, wait, I need to say this to you. And everybody's like, please shut up. And I'm like, but I really need to tell okay. you. He's like, you're all going to believe it. The most amazing They're like, thing yeah, like last time when the last amazing thing happened. And he's like, yeah, but this is. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no. Yeah. You know? So a few, a few things about, about Chunk that we should know. One time, Michael Jackson stopped by to use Chunk's bathroom. <laughs> Another time, he saved some old people from a nursing home fire. Mm. Another time, he ate his weight at Godfather's Pizza. These are just some things about Chunk. That one I believe. Yeah. Oh, that totally, totally. <laughs> when they call him out for Michael Jackson, he's like, okay, fine, fine. He didn't, but his sister did. <laughs> so Chunk is that kind of guy. He's always making up stories, and it comes to bite him in the ass later on in the plot. I will say, I don't make up the stories. I just sometimes so enthusiastically need to tell them that I right. drive people crazy. <laughs> no, no, no. See, this time, he's telling the truth. He's telling exactly. the truth. Exactly. But no one believes him. He's the boy who cried wolf, right? Yeah. So when Chunk shows up, he's got to do the world famous truffle shuffle. Mm -hmm. um, he's just got to shake, you know, show his belly and shake it all around. Shake it out. It's one of the greatest things from my childhood. I've referenced the truffle shuffle so many times throughout my life. <laughs> it's unreal. Fat shaming is not funny, nope. but it was in the 80s. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were all cool with it then. I guess so. Not now. Not now. Still a problem. It was always a problem. It's just that It's always been a problem. It's just- Our standards were lower. Yes. You might be happy to know, Jeff Cohen is very physically fit. <laughs> he grew out of his uh, truffle shuffle days. Oh, he grew out of his chunk days. Yeah. I'm going to look up a picture of him. Jeff Cohen. See Jeff Cohen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's handsome. Look at that man. Wow. Wearing a suit and everything. I mean, y you were cute before, but good for you, dude. Mm -hmm. Way to be, way to be fit. Way to be fit. So they have this Rube Goldberg machine uh, that opens the front gate with a bowling ball, a chicken egg, all kinds of crazy stuff, which is really cool. I love a Rube Goldberg. But this just establishes how intelligent and sort of like gadget friendly and technical these kids are. These kids are all very, very smart in their own way. Mm -hmm. They're just the weirdos, like weird outcasts. The nerds. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're nerds. They're just, they're really into this kind of stuff. I mean, Mikey's got like skull light bulbs in his room. Yes. You yes. that? I did, really actually. Cool. I thought it was amazing. I was like, yes. I know. I'm like, can I just, can I decorate my house? Like, I guess my house is kind of like this. I was going to say, what are you saying? Your house, houses are our houses like are like this. Right <laughs> we kind of live in this perpetual Halloween decoration. We do. Oh, we do. People will think it's funny because I literally, I don't decorate for most holidays, but Halloween decor stays all year round. Year round. Which is funny. I have to take care of this, but I still have pumpkins in my front yard. It's <laughs> it's February. I, I still that. have pumpkins. We can't let go, y'all. Next, we have Data. He comes crashing in through the front door, the screen door, and he knocks this naked David statue yes. off the table. 
And the statue's penis gets broken off, which is just... It does. God, it's just the funniest thing in the world. I me. also think this is part of the reason why I didn't watch this as a child. Probably. I don't think my mom wanted to explain that to me. Probably. Oh, <laughs> for sure. For sure. I wonder if they kept this if it was on TV. I don't know. I guess they would have had to. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Because, yeah, there's so much else happening in the Right. There's so much it. there. I don't. I don't it. know if they would have been able to, but... The best part is that Mikey, once he he notices the uh, the whole dick and balls, has broken off the statue. He says, "That's my mom's most favorite piece." <laughs> and over the sequence of the scene, because you know the mom shows up with the new mm-hmm. housekeeper, they're trying to hide the statue. Oh my god! And throughout the scene, you know they they glue it back on. I think it's chunk. I think he it is, yeah. glues it back on, but yeah. it's upside down. <laughs> and uh, Brand um, Josh Brolin just does such a good job here. He says, God meant to do it that way, you'd all be pissing in your faces. (laughs) (laughs) Made me laugh, too. (laughs) It's just delivered so well. It's so funny to me. Do you know what else made me laugh in the scene? As the mother is bringing this housekeeper in to, like, take care of things at the house. Do tell. The mom was like, I would really like the house to be clean before they tear it down. (laughs) Yeah. God. And it's so funny because as a kid, I would have been like, I don't understand why. Like, why was my mom cleaning before like the termite guy came over? You so know? adamant. I yeah, never understood always it. Always cleaned house. I never understood it, and now I have a house, and I'm like, oh shit, the plumber's coming tomorrow. I have to clean my house. I clean like, my house. Yeah, when the pest control guy. Yeah, coming. exactly. That's what I was saying. Like my my mom was always like, the termite guy's coming. You have to clean your room. You have to do all this. And I was like, why? It, I was like, he doesn't care. He sees worse than this. Like as oh, a kid, much worse. I could not fathom. And now I'm like, <laughs> I really like clean the house, house to be clean when they tear it down. Exactly. I relate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, so I always felt so weird about having three couches in my, my living room <laughs> for a while, and then I not finally anymore. got I got rid of the couch. Right, it's gone now. And the next time the pest control guy came, I was like, I wonder if he'll notice. <laughs> I wonder if he'll notice I have a normal living room now, Isn't like all weird? the normal people. <laughs> Why this do we want to be normal so bad? I don't get it. I don't even remember we his name. You don't care about it that much in norm- in daily life. And he didn't say anything. I know you've told me before that you're friends with your pest control guy. He didn't say Like you've become friends. Anything. That's sad. I'm sad to hear that for you. Sad. So there's so much happening. They're all talking over each other the whole time. It is chaos. Mrs. Walsh comes home. And man, woof, Mrs. Walsh. (laughs) How you doing? I should have known. She was played by Mary Ellen Trainer. She was in Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Forrest Gump, Scrooged, Ghostbusters 2, and Back to the Future Part 2. Hell yeah. And she's coming home with a new housekeeper who's going to help them pack the house Mm -hmm. because she has mysteriously a broken arm. Mm -hmm. Never explained. We don't know why, but her hand is in like a sling or her arm is in a sling. I wondered if it would be in a deleted scene. Mm. Of the deleted scenes that I know of, there's no explanation. So I think they just really wanted this Hispanic housekeeper character. And they needed an excuse to have a housekeeper in a home that's going to be torn down in a week. And her name is Rosalita. Mm-hmm. And she's played by Lupe Ontiveros. And she played Yolanda Saldivar in the 1997 Selena with Jennifer Lopez. Wow. Which we watched a lot as kids too. Yeah. For some reason. <laughs> I don't really know why. 97. But she was also in Tales from the Crypt, ABC After School Specials, Beverly Hills Chihuahua too. Oh man. And she, you know, was also typecast as a whole lot of like maids. I bet. But 
Mm. She's had a good career and she's been in a lot of the documentaries and like videos I've I've seen. Oh, that's um, good. I'm happy yeah. that. She's very proud of this role. She had a lot to say about it. So she was very pleased with it. It was a funny role. <laughs> she's so funny. Honestly, she, like as mouth is like giving the the tour it's and so like funny. translating. So, Rosalita doesn't speak any English and mouth speaks fluent Spanish. So he was like, oh, I'd be happy to translate for you, which I don't know what she was going to do with this woman if she couldn't speak to I her. Know. I know. I don't know why she hired her. I don't her. get it. So Mouth goes on the house tour to translate everything Mrs. Walsh is saying, <laughs> which is very normal things, you know, with this, please do this, with this. This is where the brooms are. Regarding the dresser, Mouth translates, <laughs> the marijuana goes in the top drawer. The cocaine and speed in the second, the heroin in the bottom. Always separate the drugs. <laughs> this is good life advice. Uh, it made me laugh. I was like, I can't believe they got away with this. Like this feels. I can't believe it either. In us as kids, we're watching this, going, "What is that?" Right. Yeah. What's cocaine? It's, it's adult stuff. It's bad stuff. That's funny. He's making jokes. Yeah. It's so. It like, man. I feel like I missed out because I don't have the child perspective for this oh, film. Oh man. I, I was the youngest of all all four of us watching this over and over and over, and I didn't get half of it, Oh yeah, to be honest with you. A lot of it went right over my head, and when I would ask questions, they would never explain it to me. Right. So, How does it feel to have all the knowledge now? Uh, very empowering. Yeah. I love having all the knowledge. I thought so. I want to learn more. I don't know enough. <laughs> so regarding the attic, where, you know, let's be clear about this, nobody is allowed in the attic. Nobody. Nobody. He says... Never go up there. It's filled with Mr. Walsh's sexual torture devices. <laughs> and this is all in Spanish. Right. So nobody knows what he's saying except for us. Sure. And Mrs. Walsh assumes that it, he's translating what the very normal things that she's saying. Regarding the supply closet, he says, if you do a bad job, you'll be locked in here with the cockroaches for two weeks without food and water. <laughs> and she's just like what? saying this prayer. Yeah. She's like, oh, please. <laughs> Does the sign of the cross like. Mm -hmm. I can't believe she stayed. I know. I mean, I never would have. No, I'd have left immediately. These crazy white people. What are crazy they doing? Crazy white devils. After all this happens, we've established everything. Now the adventure has to get a kicking off point. Based off of this whole, you know, nobody goes in the attic, don't go up there. Mouth is like, hey, what's in the attic? They all go up to the attic. And this is so magical to me. One of the most magical moments of this movie. Mm -hmm. So what's all in this attic? There was a retrospective at the museum where Mr. Walsh works. And there, this retrospective was this history of Astoria and all the rejects from this exhibit went in Mr. Walsh's attic. So they're up there exploring all the stuff and it's just, it's just, oh, it's so good. The epitome of like childhood imagination and exploration. Yeah. As soon as they get in the attic, the storm begins. So you hear the thunder, yeah. you hear the rain. We all know this, this feel. Through all this chaos of them rummaging around, messing with stuff, Mikey finds this uh, framed map from 1632 and they get mouth to translate the Spanish on the map. And he says, Intruders beware, crushing death and grief, soaked with blood of the trespassing thief. That's mm. when he begins to say the blood part, where he begins to like falter. Yeah. And they're all like, oh, oh shit. Now this map was designed by the production designer, J. Michael Riva. 
And apparently he was super dedicated to getting the look of this map like right, you know, making it as accurate as it would have been at the time. Wow. He wanted it to be so authentic that he covered it with like coffee and dirt, making it look old. I've done things like this to to age. Yeah, it's quite an undertaking. Yeah, bits of paper. You can bake them in the oven, tea stained, whatever, burn them. So what everything he did to it didn't really work. And he asked the studio for fake blood, but they were like, we don't have any that you can use. So when he couldn't get fake blood, he cut his finger and used his own blood to blood stain the map. I mean, I can't say that I wouldn't do the same. I know. Honestly. If you know you're making a Steven Spielberg movie. You do what you have to do. You're kind of like, well. I'd pull a Tom Sawyer on that shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'd eat that apple. I'd do it. And after the film, this is a bit of lore. Sean Astin ended up with the map. Nice. And his mom found it. And thought it was a piece of junk, and she threw it away, which is really unfortunate. Did his mom ever watch his movie? (laughs) She did, but she didn't know what it was because it was so... Maybe he didn't treat it very well. Still. And so it looked like trash. If you watch the movie. (laughs) I know. I don't know why she would have done it. My God. So this lost treasure map belonged to a locally significant quote-unquote legendary pirate named One-Eyed Willie. Mm -hmm. Now, the story of One-Eyed Willie... A story Mr. Walsh told Mikey, probably a bedtime story Mm -hmm. because he works in this museum. One-Eyed Willie stole a treasure and began sailing away from the British king in this ship called the Inferno, which is never referenced again. And there's a big war between the British Armada and One-Eyed Willie and his crew. He ends up fleeing into a cave, which is bombarded with the British Armada's cannonballs. So there's Mm -hmm. a big cave in, and he's sealed in this cave. Mm -hmm. And he's been there ever since. Right. And One-Eyed Willie used this time, he used his crew to basically hide his treasure and set a series of booby traps Mm -hmm. so that anybody who went looking for it wouldn't be able to find it or they'd die in the process. And eventually, once the treasure was safe and secure and everything was done, Willie killed his entire crew to keep them from stealing it themselves. Mm-hmm. The caveat, the joke is that, well, one guy must have gotten away with the map and the story and right. the doubloon and everything because that's how we know about it, right? Which is that same joke repurposed in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. But if everyone was killed, <laughs> how did the story get out? Dead men tell no tales. But there's also this newspaper article that they talk about. A guy named Chester Copperpot, he went missing in 1935 mm-hmm. trying to find... One-Eyed Willie's treasure. Mm-hmm. He claimed he had the key to One-Eyed Willie. Mm-hmm. This inspires Mikey. This tells him, hey, look, this guy went looking for it. A bunch of people have gone looking for this treasure. If we go looking for it, we might be able to find it. And they're like, yeah, whatever, Mikey. Like, you know, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So all we know is that nobody ever saw One-Eyed Willie again. Right. And once Chester Copperpot went looking for this treasure, he never came back out. So it's this like, all hope is lost kind of adventure. Right. There's no chance of this happening. Don't even try. But they're goonies. So, of course, they try. <laughs> you know, there's a knocking at the door, a buzzing or whatever. They all leave. And Mikey reaches down and grabs this doubloon. It was tucked in the frame behind the map. So, he takes this map. He takes this doubloon. And they leave. So, yeah, when they go outside, they're met by Mr. Perkins, who is the father of a guy we're going to meet very soon named Troy. <laughs> He's a cheap guy. He sort of, I don't know if he's like the lawyer or whatever, in charge of the whole yeah, I think so. um, country club expansion. Yeah. 
he's the one delivering the papers. He's like, hey, give these to your father. He's just sort of this, you know, omen of of doom. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I mean, yeah, character. that was a common. He like, brings bad news. I remember feeling that way about men in suits in general. Yeah, usually when they were used as a device, like a plot device in in kids movies in this era. Yep. it was bad news <laughs> for sure. So yeah, he was uh, played by Kurt Hansen. He had other roles in shows like Documentary Now and Portlandia. Now time is passing. <laughs> It wouldn't be a Goonies episode if we didn't discuss Cindy Lauper and her hit single, The Goonies Are Good Enough. Mm. Nobody liked it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, she didn't like it. She's, she's quoted as saying she hated the song. Wow. Corey Feldman said it was a terrible song and none of the kids liked it. Why was it so bad? I don't think it's that bad. Me neither, but like I why? just hate the music video. Why didn't they try again? Like, if it was that bad. It was like a top 10 or a number one hit at the time. Still. So it was considered a great song. But if nobody liked it. No, I don't Everyone know. liked it but the people who made the movie. <laughs> so I don't, know. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear what their playlists were at the time. And by playlists, I mean, you know, records and mixtapes. And For the 80s? Just what the, what the, those people were listening to. If not Oh, them this. like specifically? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Corey Feldman said he loves, they all love Cindy Lauper. But not that song. They just thought the song was terrible. I don't know. I heard it come on and I was like, Cindy Lauper. Like it was just a very. Yeah, no, people, people still request it. She wouldn't add it to her set list. But after so much, or after all this time and so much fame with the Goonies, she said like enough people have requested the Goonies are good enough at her shows that she's added it to her list. <laughs> Because wow. she's like she can't say no. But it's anymore. more it's more what it means. Yeah, it's about than the, the, the nostalgia song of the Goonies. Right. Right, right, right. I mean, personally I hated the music video, which was produced by Spielberg, directed by Dick Donner. The Goonies cast is in it. It's really weird. I'm gonna have to rewatch that. I don't to get have it, an opinion. But whatever. Music videos are not meant to be gotten always. <laughs> I wonder if we should do a the Goonies are good enough. WTF episode. Yeah, oh, totally. That'd be great. Yeah. I vote yes. So to say it again, it's just really amazing how they reveal this bigger story through these tiny details in the kids' eyes. Yeah. The exposition about the golf course and this foreclosure and the the goondocks houses, it's just really masterful. And then just when you're primed and ready and having a really good time, you're really comfortable and, and set in this world, they drop this big adventure narrative right in your lap. Mm -hmm. And you want them to have this adventure because you want to go on it with them Mm -hmm. because you want to see them beat these men in suits. Yeah, always. So how they begin is they know they're not getting away without distracting Bran. (laughs) So they have to basically tie him up. (laughs) No, basically. They totally do. yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They tie him up so he Mm -hmm. can't get out. And he says, I'm going to hit you so hard that when you wake up, your clothes are going to be out of style. (laughs) And it's funny for that time, too, because every decade was a new style of clothes. But honestly, everything that was in style then is back now. So eventually it comes back around. So if you hit them hard enough, (laughs) if Bran hits them hard enough, it'll already be back in style. Be back in style 40 years later. Yeah. Yeah. My God. That's so funny. (laughs) And so they get away on their bikes. They pop his tires. And it's really funny because once Bran gets loose, he has to steal Data's little sister's bike, the the tricycle, like we were saying. So on the road, riding his little tiny pink bicycle, 
tricycle. He gets harassed by Troy Perkins, Mm -hmm. who has Andy and Steph with him in the car. They spot Brand. And of course, this leads to him holding on to Brand's arm, keeping him from pulling away and driving him off a cliffside. Crazy. Which, as a kid, we were like breaking down the logistics of these movies. And we were like, oh, that would have killed him for sure. Oh, that, yeah. I thought the same thing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so we were As like, a grown up, I was like, yeah, that, uh, that doesn't fly. Oh, but Brand did uh, off that cliffside. Uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say, no pun intended, but you beat me to it. So. We're having fun. We're having fun. <laughs> Got to. Got to. <laughs> So Troy, the douche, is played by a guy named Steve Anton, and he had all the makings of this 80s heartthrob, but it just never clicked. It never really happened. Isn't that weird how sometimes it just doesn't? It's weird. Like, sometimes it just doesn't go, and I, I, I don't know why. I'm going to chalk this up to his choices for the okay. films he was in. Mm-hmm. Um He was in some pretty big movies, but he played this type of character... But he played a Troy Perkins like over and over, but each time it got more degraded. Mm. So it became a more and more degraded Troy Perkins each time. Oh, yeah, that'll. And I just feel like Mm. you can only ride that horse so long. Yeah. Before it dies beneath you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's unfortunate. But he wrote and directed Burlesque. Really? With Cher and Christina. Whoa. Yeah, big deal. Big deal. So the Goonies, having made their big escape, they go to a place they call Gold Rock Beach. This locale was in Ecola State Park, which is actually farther than they could have ridden on their bikes. (laughs) Naturally. The rocks that they use on the water, as reference to their treasure map, was called, or this one big main rock was called Haystack Rock. It's a real place you can visit, which is pretty cool. We'll have to go see it. Yep, put it on the list. Yeah. And these rocks line up with this doubloon. There are holes in the doubloon. And there's also the Lighthouse Lounge building, which is an abandoned old restaurant. <laughs> there are some abandoned restaurants near where I live that I wonder about sometimes. Yeah, honestly, you live out in your own goondocks of sorts. I do. So this is where the Goonies meet the Fratellis. The Fratellis are witnessed to be carrying a body mm-hmm. wrapped in like it's like a black trash bag dexter style so the kids are watching from afar they're like that has to be the place that's got to be where we start they're justifying everything they're like oh it's a restaurant they're lugging this big bag yeah it must be a bag of food sure sure it's food it's a restaurant so it's this like positive feedback loop where they keep talking themselves into the adventure over and over and over no matter what happens they justify it and they move forward Mm -hmm. um so while they go inside chunk gets distracted he finds the orv four wheel drive with all the bullet Bullet holes holes. the size of matzo balls (laughs) and he's just always on the verge of panic i get it trying to get them to understand i i I relate (laughs) totally understand chunk so when they when they sneak inside mama fratelli is you know waiting you know she probably hears them coming because they can't shut up for two seconds and it's the standoff between the Fratellis and the Goonies. You know, Mama and Jake are in there, and they're speaking Italian. I'm going to say this now because I have it written in my notes now. Mm-hmm. I genuinely don't think that there are more than, like, at, at very most, 10 lines of dialogue in this entire movie that are spoken without someone speaking over top of them. I Probably. Like, the very most, 10 lines are clear. Like, I can't fathom what that was like. <laughs> I know. It had to be chaos. I don't know what it was like for the audio like department. Absolute I just, chaos. Sound had to be struggling. Well, I think they did a lot of work in post for ADR, too. Probably. So they That's probably, probably true. the lines that they needed, Ooh. 
I bet they got they them made later. sure to get them. Yeah, later. Yeah. Oh my god. Sound though. must have been a real struggle at, in this movie. At, this sure. was the point where it really started to hit me though, where I was like, oh my god, there really weren't you know, it it does happen, but I I feel like there were maybe ten clear lines of dialogue. Yeah. And everything else was just all at once. Everybody speaking all at once. It was. <laughs> just go for it. We'll see how it lines up. Like <laughs> It was Chaos. a lot like that, I know. That's not how they make movies today. And so part of me is like very endeared to it. And then part of me is like, yeah, you know, it's hard to follow sometimes. Or it's hard to catch everything, I should say. Yeah, I mean, watching it this time, I had to put the subtitles on just to make sure I caught I did too. all the dialogue and the references just for the hell of it. Yeah, um, I did too. But, you know, it's that authenticity. It's that, that exactly. realism of like watching a movie. That's what I was going to say. Like, it doesn't matter. It's endearing. You're going to hear the lines that matter for plot. Right. And the rest of it is just ear candy if you, if you catch it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's building a world. Yeah. But it, it makes me believe that they're all friends. Oh, like yeah. It really makes me believe that they've known each other yeah, for years. Yeah, you buy in. It makes you buy in. Totally it's just so interesting it. to me because it's so like it's difficult to do. Mm-hmm. It really is. Sorry. Okay. Continue. <laughs> so Mike- um, saying he has to use the bathroom, he sneaks down to the basement, which is where we hear Jake singing opera and we hear grunting sounds that sound like a bear. And so we're like, oh God, what is this monster down here in these, you know, this basement, these like weird tunnels underneath this restaurant. Yeah. And this is where we meet the fourth Fratelli. Yeah. Sloth. Yep. So Jake is singing uh, Giacomo Pochini's Madame Butterfly mm. to Sloth as he's you know trying to feed him. Robert Davy is a trained opera singer. Oh, so they had to throw it in. Yeah, I this see. adds authenticity to them being Italian, right? Right. He's speaking Italian. He's singing this Italian <laughs> opera. It's like they're using all these elements to be like, oh, cool, these are real people, which yeah. I buy in. I yeah. believe it. Me too. And we learn in this small little moment that they're essentially starving sloth mm -hmm. because and, it, and it's it's negligent it's not on purpose every time jake goes to feed sloth he wants to sing to him like this romantic italian waiter who's serving you a meal and singing to you <laughs> but sloth is starving and sloth was also dropped on his head a bunch of times as a kid yeah. and probably more than that well more than that <laughs> he's not getting the whole like you're serving me food. This is a romantic experience correlation. He's just starving. Yeah. But Jake gets his feelings hurt really easily. Mm, it's a bad soup. So when Sloth is like, ah, feed me, he gets his feelings hurt, takes the food away and basically says, well, fine, I'm not going to feed you if you're not going to let me sing to you. Mm. And so it's like, how many times has this happened? Right. And it's really sad when you think about it. Oh, totally. Because he's like, food, please. To, to beg for food like that. That's pretty dark. If you will. That's pretty dark. <laughs> yeah. And just like in a way that I never noticed as a kid, it like broke my heart. Very sad. To be like, you're very hungry. And this guy just can't get over his own ego long enough exactly. to feed you. And that's the that's the villain of this whole thing mm -hmm. is that you see that ego in him. So narcissistic. Yeah. It's insane. Totally. So Sloth is depicted as this monster. In real life terms, he's actually depicted as uh yeah. well disabled mentally he was a very strong stereotype of this guy who as a kid they say later on was dropping his head a whole bunch his face is deformed he can't really speak very well i don't know if it's if it's problematic or not i personally think it is because yeah. they depict i mean it isn't like i don't know they depict somebody who's 
like disabled as a monster or like monstrous yeah. thing, and you learn not to be afraid of him. Like, of course, they they draw right. that. He, he becomes the hero, which is cool. He becomes the but hero, but they definitely depict him as a monster at the beginning. Yeah, that part is problematic to yeah. to make him this beast. He they're using bear sounds. Yeah. Not okay. But he was played by a guy named John Matuzak. He was a professional football player <laughs> who became an actor after he was injured. <laughs> he appeared in other popular shows such as MASH and Miami Vice and a few other roles before dying of a heart failure in 89. Sad. He was only 38 years old. Oh my God. Yeah. Don't like that. Yeah. I mean, but he was a huge dude. He made his living off of his size. Right. And so I bet he just kept that up for as long as he could. Mm. His makeup took like five hours to complete every day. I was about to ask. Yep. <laughs> his lower off-centered eye was mechanically operated off screen by remote control. Nice. So that That's cool. <laughs> he had to time his blinking to match when they would blink. The mechanical eye. That's so difficult. It's so difficult. I know. I can't fathom. Yeah. And then the scenes with the water, the kids were told not to get him wet, but of course they did so. Yeah. I was wondering how he handled his makeup in the water too. Yeah. Apparently it delayed filming for like a whole day when his makeup got wet. They had to redo his makeup. I and can they're see like, well, that. we'll just come back tomorrow. Yeah. At one point he's wearing an Oakland Raiders t-shirt, which is the team he played for. Nice. So yeah, I mean the guy Cameo. He lived life to the fullest. Good for him. And he loved he loved acting. He knew football wouldn't last forever. And so he wanted to act for the rest of his life as soon as he was done playing. Wow. And it just ended way, way too soon. Way too soon. Massive guy. They they couldn't agree on his size. They were like, I mean, I heard from six five to six nine. Well people couldn't they couldn't um tell and it's you not documented, huh? It might be, but I didn't want to look. I wanted to go based off this legend <laughs> of like, they couldn't tell how tall he was. Right. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Fair enough. So yeah, they're in this lighthouse lounge. Brand shows up to take the kids home. Andy and Steph show up because Troy was being a jerk, trying to look down her her you know shirt. Yep. Um, but if you look in the mirror, the shot of the mirror, actually, you're looking up her skirt, not yeah, down her shirt. Yeah, I... I yeah, I wondered if that was me. Super sexualizing this sixteen-year-old girl. Teenage girl. Yeah. But whenever, like, I watched it, you know, there were there were shots of looking like in the mirror. It, he, I mean, you didn't see anything, but he it's was clearly skirt, trying yeah. to angle it so he could see up her skirt. And then she says that to Brand, like, yeah, that he was trying to look down her shirt. And I was like, did I just miss something? Mm, no, I, <laughs> no, I think she just, just got it wrong. The I think she just, you know, either the dialogue was intentional and she just. Her character got it wrong, or they just couldn't decide which angle of the mirror they wanted to get, and right. they just chose the skirt. I don't know. Got it. Maybe they got some options, and they just chose one in post, but that's, who knows? That's probably true. Probably. I do like, though, during that conversation, because um, they're worried about Bran, because he's now like scraped up, because you know he went off the side of a cliff and should have yeah. died, probably, <laughs> he should be based dead on the now. air that he got when we see him get it. But yeah. like he's trying to like be all cool for the girls, you know, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, don't worry, I was born with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was so cute. Yeah, he's all cool guy. I mean, he's the obvious choice if you're going to pick Brand versus Troy. Oh I mean, God, such every a time Brand every is way time. cool. Yeah, I mean, he's a goonie. You got to yeah. go, with Brand. What more do you want? I'm straight and not much else. <laughs> Josh Brolin and not much else. <laughs> <clears throat> so they're all outside now. Everyone's together, and the Fratellis leave very conveniently. So they're able to sneak back in. 
So they all break back in, back down into the basement with all the tunnels, and they find, you know, they're they're scared by Sloth once again, mm-hmm. and they fall into this adjacent room. So they find the room they're supposed to be in. While they're all arguing, there's a goof, a very famous goof, where Mikey calls Brand Josh. Oh, no. Yeah. And to my credit, I caught this before I read about it and all the trivia and the goofs and stuff from this movie. So I did catch this one. (laughs) The one I didn't catch is Data calling Bran Josh in the attic. To be honest, I think I heard that and I was like, who's Josh? But then it passed so quickly. I was like, okay, never mind. Yeah. So I missed that one. I do think I I caught that. Yeah. So these these are very famous. And apparently there are like over a hundred goofs in this movie. And when Josh Gad called that out to Donner in this Zoom interview thing two years ago, um, he was like, with all these kids running around, I'm surprised it wasn't a thousand. Oh, that's cute. So funny. Yeah, I love that. It's hard to make a movie, you guys. It's really hard. It's really hard to make a movie. It's so Don't be hard. mistaken. People think it's really easy, genuinely. People I know know. who work with me in film think, well, if it was me, I would do it like this. I'm like, yeah, it's really easy to say that. It's really easy. It's just the same. I mean, not just the same, but it's like my kids would never do that. And you have one. It's like, oh, and they totally do. Yeah. Yeah. I think my mom had that realization. (laughs) I think everybody's mom had that realization. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, these goofs of them calling him Josh. All that told me was that they were all very close. They were good friends. Camera. Totally. They were friends. They all loved each other. They thought of him as the older brother. Yeah. And I bet you he treated them like the older brother. I like that. I love that. And to to hear them interact when they all talk to each other now as adults, there's so much love between these people. They're the Goonies. It warms my heart. They are forever the Goonies, I know. Yeah. Oof. But unfortunately, this episode can't go on forever. <laughs> No, it as can't. much as you might wish out there that it could. No, we will keep recording tonight, but this this part, this part two, is done. But you guys can go take a break and do whatever you were doing. <laughs> go, before, go live so. your lives. You know Have what? Have a great go. week. Get Have out of here. Go. But come back. Yeah. Come back when we release part three. Yeah. So check in next time. We'll see you in a couple weeks, guys. Yeah. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark, written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, You're never really alone. So until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.